listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the PuttCast. Putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the PuttCast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. This is Monique Whitney. I am the Executive Director of Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. I'd like to take a moment to thank our podcast sponsor, Datascan Pharmacy Software. Today, we're going to be continuing a conversation that we started in our newsletter with a letter that was written by our president, Deborah Kevney. Deb, you are with me today as part of this podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for the uh, invitation to sit in here today. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you so much for the letter. We're We're gonna talk about that in just a minute, but I also wanted to take a moment to introduce two very special guests with us today. I'd like to first introduce Brian Hose, who is the CEO of Epic. Brian, welcome. Welcome, thank you. Glad to have you. And then Jerry Callahan, a PUT member, past, immediate past president of the Missouri Pharmacists Association. Very, very good friend of PUT. Jerry, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Besides being former past president of MPA, I'm also owner of five medicine shop pharmacies in the St. Louis area. Oh, I guess I didn't know that. And it's all St. Louis area. So like me, so I am in the vicinity of CVS Caremark. You are in the vicinity of Express Scripts and Centene. Uh, Brian, any notable villains in your part of the world? We, we do not have any many PBMs located in Maryland, to my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, you you also have a long history in pharmacy as well. We were right before we started recording. We were talking about some of the things that you're up to. Would you like to share a little bit with the audience? Sure. Uh, my wife likes to say that I'm, I'm someone who fails to say no often enough. So a lot of um, a lot of boards and uh, committee work currently uh, working with APHA on their policy committee for the House delegates and then with NDPA on their state legislative affairs committee. Uh, in addition to I own one pharmacy, thank goodness, I don't know if I could deal with five and everything else. Um, but uh, one pharmacy here in Maryland, and then obviously my my normal day to day work with Epic. Uh, just just a little bit, not not much going on there at all. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And of course, Deb, you are in the um the homeland of, of Optum and United Healthcare there in Minnesota. Yep, proudly. Proudly, very, very proudly. So why don't we why don't we talk about the letter? The purpose of our conversation today is to expand on the question of how Express Scripts can better work with independent pharmacy. And if you are all detecting a tad bit of sarcasm in my voice, that is because there is sarcasm there, or or maybe let's just say it's it's extreme caution. Why don't we just start by talking about this letter? So Deb and I were at NCPA, and we were talking about Express Scripts, and Express Scripts having announced it was going to have this independent advisory council. And from there, the idea of writing a letter 
on behalf of every pharmacist who wouldn't have been able to sit on that panel. Obviously, you can't have 19,000 pharmacies sitting on one advisory panel. So we thought, why don't we write this letter? Deb, kind of take us back to what you, know, what you were thinking when you were writing the letter and how it came about. Well, sure. I'm sure we all remember when we received that uh, fax notification from Express Script saying that they were going to form this panel in order to figure out how to better work together with independent pharmacies. And of course, all of us indies being a cynic, you know, said, oh, yeah, believe that when we see it. Oh, yeah, well, well, let's see what that looks like. And then we didn't hear anything for a long time. But it was interesting that Express Script's printed goal of this was to boost reimbursement to independent pharmacies and figure out how to work with more rural pharmacies. And while that sounds great, none of us believed it. And uh, we were going to wait and see what the contract looked like because the devil's always in the details. Well, then fast forward to NCPA, and we met a couple of the pharmacists that were invited to participate on the panel. And like Monique says, you can't have 19,000 pharmacies there. But we thought if we could take some of the thoughts of the pharmacies that gave me feedback into a letter, an open letter, and then send it to Express Scripts and say, since we couldn't be here, here's how you can work better with independent pharmacies. And so now here we are. And so today what we'd like to do is we'd like to continue that conversation. So the question on the table, you may or may not have read Deb's letter. You can find it on our website, TruthRx, in our blog section. Can we I just, just say, if you have not, if you haven't read Deb's letter, you have to read it. It is a masterpiece. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, we have a couple of the folks that, that were on that committee and talking to them ahead of time. Uh, one of them in particular, I was like, you should just you should just take Deb's letter and quote it like Bible verses, like go to page four, paragraph three. Like, you know, it, it's wonderful. She, you did an amazing job with it. You could tell a lot of work, a lot of thought went into it. And we really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. That's great. Thank you, Brian. That And you know what? That's that is what what we wanted, we wanted to talk to them directly. We actually did send that letter to uh, Dr. Stephanie Cooney at Express Scripts. And our hope is that, you know, they'll listen. And we, we don't want to completely write them off, right? That would, what would be the point of even writing a letter if we thought it was that bad? But our hope, of course, is that they listen. But, you know, here's this question. So they're asking, right? So, so let's just dig into this. Brian, let's start with you. Whether it was already written in the letter, whether it wasn't, how can... Let's just say the largest PBMs, Express Scripts, CVS, Optum, but anyone else who's a PBM, how can they better work with independent pharmacy? I feel like if they want to be a partner of independent pharmacy, they have to start by fixing the payment model. And, and maybe it's not as easy as just a, you know, a slight increase here, uh, better dispensing fee there. It, it may be, maybe the whole thing has to be torn down and, and we have to start over with something that's going to work. But uh, continuing to pay pharmacies under, under cost on drugs is not going to be a way for them to want to work with you in any capacity. Um, they, they work with Express Scripts and Caremark and Optum because they have to, to, to get access to, to patients. It's just they're too big not to work with them. And the fact is, they haven't been great partners to, to independent pharmacy, or I would argue even even chain pharmacy for a number of years now. And Jerry, what do you think? Um, I completely agree with the mind. We need to improve the reimbursement issue. They got to quit paying people low cost. And why they can't go to, say, a NADAC pricing plus the state dispensing fee would be the appropriate thing to do. Although NADAC's not the perfect world, but if they can at least go with an acquisition cost, but the whole system needs to be changed there. I mean, they're underpaying pharmacies they're overcharging the payers, whether the payers, the insurance plan or the, the buyer, the business 
person. Um, we're all getting shafted, as I like to say. And the price of our drugs are so high because of the rebates and the other fees that they're collecting that they don't call rebates. The thinking is what, 40 to 50 percent of the cost of a medication today is uh, in the rebates and other fees that the PBMs are collecting. So the whole system needs to get fixed, not just the reimbursement to the pharmacy, but the way that the whole drugs are priced. You know, and so they would say, and I, and I know this because I've now sat across the table from their representatives long enough, they'd come back and they'd say something like, oh, but, you know, it's not our fault. We don't set those prices. That's done by, you know, the manufacturers. That's their problem. We're just here doing the best we can. And, you know, we're sorry if you, you know, don't like our, our model where we'll pay you wholly for some, but not for others, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, just kind of knowing that that's there in the background, really, um, Deb, I love, why don't we start with you? Like, what, what would your response be to that? Well, it would be that, um, you know, this, this all happened incrementally. It didn't happen overnight. And the reimbursement to the pharmacies is actually not related to what the manufacturers are doing with rebates. I mean, they're, they're very independent. Our contract is with the PBMs to provide a service for a fee, uh, reimbursement rate, and their agreement with the manufacturers to provide rebates and things like that are independent of what they're doing with us. I mean, if you want to roll that together, that's a good argument for we need to get a bigger piece of that pie. You know, it doesn't make it right. And I, and I do believe that if they could make that all the middleman, all that that thick layer in the middle go away, the rebates, the fees, healthcare would be what it was envisioned to be, actual care and getting people healthy rather than this money grabbing game that we seem to find ourselves in the middle of. Well, and you, you can't have, you know, years and years of decreases every year in your reimbursement rates and consider yourself, you know, a, a good partner. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Drug prices have not fallen at the same rate that that Express Scripts or, or Caremark or Optum, for that matter, have decreased their reimbursement amounts. It, it's just not it's not the same linear relationship that we're seeing in those contracts. And it's it's it is going to be reach a tipping point where we lose a lot of pharmacies. And it's not it's not something that uh, legislators believe us when we tell them. But you know, eventually they're going to see a, a, a bunch of pharmacies. You know, I hope it. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope we're able to come up with a new model and people can hang on long enough to see it. But I feel like we're at a point where it's going to be really challenging soon. And I think that's coming sooner than we think. None of our cost business is going to go down in the next three years. Yet you can't carve out and say, "I'll take year one, but opt me out of year two and three. It's an all or nothing. And it's it's not fair. And I guess that's that's my thing. If they want to really be our partners and they really want to reach out and work with us, having a fair and transparent way of reimbursing us properly is probably a great step in the right direction. It won't be the end all, but it, it would show good faith that they realize that their model isn't working. And it's not just Express Scripts. We can have the same conversation about CVS and Optum, which I, I hope we will down the road. But you know, today, Express Scripts is in the spotlight. And some of the things that they could do was just take a look at that reimbursement model to begin with. From the PSO side, they're, they're the worst one for us to deal with. They're the biggest challenge. They they provide the least data, the least transparency when it comes to to even how they manage their, their contracted rates. It is a real challenge to deal with them. And 
you know, they've asked us for for feedback some sometimes too on what what they can do, and we we give them examples of things that they may not even you know reimbursement rates aside, it, it's hard to get them to to increase reimbursement rates. But even some of the other things that we've we've asked of them, they're just not they're just not interested to this point in, in helping us, and um, it makes it hard to deal with them, or definitely hard to look at them as a business partner. Yeah, I'm struck by the words that you're using. When we talk about fair, we talk about partnership, we talk about transparency. These are these are the kinds of words that you wouldn't feel like in a real partnership you'd ever even have to articulate. A partnership implies there's balance on both sides. It implies that there's some kind of open communication. It implies that there's minimally an understanding of how each side works. And in the years that I've been with PUT, as I've applied myself to understanding how do PBMs work, how do pharmacies work. The thing that I, I constantly come up against is like, I just am always left with the impression that it's not that they don't know what pharmacies do or how they work. It's that they're, they don't care. They've become so interested in squeezing out every available dollar that the concept of a professional dispensing fee, which is really necessary for a pharmacy that you need, you, pharmacies need that, you know, that's a unique thing from what I've seen in any, to any other aspect of healthcare. That's not happening. The, this idea that you can not fully reimburse for a cost of goods sold. I mean, that, that's anathema to any business degree out there. <laughs> You know, even to like the shoemaker and the elves, you know, business school, right? Where you have to make enough to cover the cost of the goods so that you have enough to be able to be in business the next day. It's fascinating. It's really fascinating. It's so almost I'm, like they own their own pharmacies and want us to go out of business, right? I mean, it's almost like that. Yes. Almost. It's almost like they're trying to squeeze you out. <laughs> Jerry, um, you have a unique perspective on this as, you know, someone who has more than one pharmacy, you've seen the, the development of the industry over time. I'm curious what your thoughts are about the approach that they've taken to partnership. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? I don't think they're wanting to partner at the moment. I mean, they're talking about it, but if they really wanted to partner, they'd have done it a long time ago. They just want to continually decrease reimbursements because the price of drugs are so high, but they're partly to blame. And they won't admit to it, of course, but it's getting tougher and tougher. I mean, I opened up a store in 2018, and based on the, the reimbursement rates at that point in time, that pharmacy now if doing over 900 scripts a week would be profitable. Right now, I'm, I'm barely breaking even. Um, and I put more money into that store than I probably put into my last three that I've opened. Um, it's crazy. Um, and it's, it's got to stop. But right, they're impacting not just independence, so they're impacting the chains. I mean, that's why the pharmacies are screaming and walking out because they don't have enough help because the chains aren't making the profits. So their biggest expense that they can cut quickly is labor and which is causing problems. And my question is where are the boards of pharmacy on these things? You know, they come into the independent pharmacy and spend a whole day nitpicking for stuff. And when they should be going to the chains and finding out exactly what the heck's going on there and how overworked and understaffed these pharmacies are. I mean, that's another issue we got to deal with. But it boils down to the, the PBMs have just got to do the right thing, but it's they're not going to do it on their own. It's going to have to take legislative action. I mean, we're working hard here in Missouri. Um, I've been on the legislative committee for the MPA for a long time. We've got a task force going to try and get our PBM bill passed this year. Uh, but even the feds now are looking into it. 
I've got an appointment scheduled with uh, Eric Smith, one of the newest senators uh, from Missouri with one of his aides next week to talk to him about uh, the PBM issue. And, and as I told him the other day, this needs to be done now, not down the road. We're going to lose 30 to 40 percent of the pharmacies in the next year if things don't change. I'm glad you tied in the reimbursements to the greater problem of staffing and what's been happening in the larger pharmacies. It's inconceivable, I think, at some level to think even a, a CVS, which owns Aetna and CVS Pharmacies and Caremark, it's just it, it's inconceivable that they can be posting some of the highest profits in the history of this industry and have their pharmacists and staff so stressed out that they have to stage walkouts just to get some attention. So I, I, I'm glad that you've tied that in, Jerry. I think that's an important point. And one we'll be talking about in the future here at PUT. I, I would like to ask a question. How, what would you like these PBMs to know about the experience of working with them, working with the PBMs? There's reimbursement, but there's, you know, there's claims submission, there's time spent on the help desk, there's advocating on behalf of patients. What what is what is that like? You could Brian, you might even want to talk about from the PSAO view, the contracting process. In fact, I'm going to give you the I'm going to tee you up to go first here. So I think specifically the contracting piece is 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 challenging. The management of those contracts is challenging. We we at, at EPN have taken the approach that, you know, if we sign a, a contract that has an effective rate, we're going to try to true our stores up to that effective rate as best that we possibly can. And we've done that through a, you know, a pretty elaborate escrow system. Uh, we've been escrowing DIR fees. So by and large, our stores won't feel this double dip in 2024 because they've already felt it. They've been, you know, dealing with these DIR fees and the, the way that we've been, we've been leveling those reimbursements out for a number of years now. But but still, to be able to do that requires the the PBM to to be consistent in what they do and provide us data so that we can you know help get that that process going, maintain it, uh, make sure that we pay stores fairly. And we have a very different approach from the three PBMs, uh, the three largest PBMs, on on how they're willing to help us manage those contracts. And I feel like um, there there are some PSAOs out there that that you know make that relationship incredibly hard to to work through with a PBM. We do our best to try to have a, a amicable business relationship with them when we can. And and to our benefit, I think most of the time we're able to we're able to to work with them uh, when we need to for audits and you know contract issues and things like that. But we just we have a lot of trouble with the way that they choose to to manage to manage these contracts, the way that they will pay a pharmacy one thing one month, something else the next, the third month again, something different. It's just a roller coaster. And it's really hard for pharmacies, intentionally hard for pharmacies to know what they're going to be reimbursed uh, when they transmit a claim. And it's in, you know, even with us, with an entire team of data people, it's really hard for us to know what a PBM is going to do when you submit that claim because they're all over the map with how they manage things. Deb, in the letter, one of the things you talk about is the experience of enormous amounts of time lost to help desk calls. Yeah, so you call the, you get a rejected claim or a patient has a question, you call the toll-free number and you get somebody that is not in the United States. And while they may speak English, I'm not convinced that they understand English. There are times you can hear chickens in the background and dogs, and that is no lie. Um, we've had quite a few of those calls. 
rarely can they resolve our issue and you get transferred back to the state side to be able to get somebody to talk to and help. But in the meantime, you're having to go through bots, you know, keying in your NPI number and then, you know, say one for this or two for that and all this kind of stuff. A person gets on the phone, you repeat the same damn information all over again, get transferred another person, same damn information all over again. And it is not um, unheard of to spend 15 or 20 minutes to find out that, Express Scripts keyed in a birth date one day wrong, or Express Scripts called George a girl and George is a man, and you've got the wrong sex code in there, and it's it's maddening, and there's no care. It, it doesn't feel like they're there to help the patient. It doesn't feel like they're there to help the pharmacy. It feels like they're checking a box that says, you must have a help desk and you must answer the phone. Not terribly helpful. I don't feel like my sarcasm comes through on the recording as, as as well as it should, but it's almost like they want you to give up and not bill the claim. It is almost like name. that. Go ahead, Jerry. We need to change Sorry. the name to helpless desk, not help desk. Yeah, here, here. <laughs> Go ahead, Jerry. I mean, yeah, the whole thing, the system's crazy. Most of the time when you do call in for a prior authorization, I'd probably say 90% of the time they're they're approved. So why why are they spending so much time on this when it should be a lot simpler and a lot easier? And half the time they don't even need them. It's just crazy. But yeah, it's, it's wastes a lot of time, not only on the pharmacy's part, but on the, the doctor's part as well. I mean, all the way up. And, and and I talk to some of the doctors at times, and they're just as frustrated as we are. Sometimes they'll send us stuff in, and nobody does anything with it. I also appreciate the contracting um, ritual of sending me a lousy contract, and I mark it up and send it back to them, and they quite frankly, report back to me that this is not negotiable. Well, it's not really a contract or an agreement if it's not negotiable because I don't agree. You know, we went through this with uh, the TRICARE debacle. You know, first they kicked everybody out, then they gave us a crappy contract. We all rejected it. They said, oh, wait, 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 here's a second contract, same crappy contract. We all rejected it. Contracting with Express Scripts and the other two are a joke. Problem is, though, there's some pharmacies out there, chains as well as independents, that will accept anything. And now's the time for pharmacies and pharmacists to unite and follow the lead of, in this case, the, the PSAOs, if that's the case, and let them do their job. But if, if pharmacies would stick together and say, enough's enough, and we're not going to take this garbage, it would get changed. But as long as people are willing to accept the contracts and they meet the adequacy of uh, pharmacy networks, we're all going to get the shaft until things change. But I think we're getting to that point. Enough's enough. Well, in my opinion, we've hit the floor. I don't think we can accept anything lower. It's got to go up from here. None of us are going to be here. So another thing I'd like to talk about is we, we've talked about this loss of time on the help desk, loss of time trying to get contracts that are useful for you. As pharmacists, you have this relationship with patients, uh, and I know that there's a lot to this question, so you can pick any part that you want. But so as a pharmacist, I imagine it's got to be hard when you're the one that has to break the news to the patient that the medication they thought is covered is not covered, or the claim has been denied if you even tell the patient that. There's time that I know you're spending advocating on behalf of your patient. There's time I know you're spending talking to the patient's doctors and the patient's doctor is talking to you. Uh, so I, there's that for sure. Actually, let's just talk about that. And I'll ask my second question in a minute. So what what would you say to Express Scripts or Caremark or Optum about being this 
patience advocate and what these guys are doing to you and the patient by making you run through these these hoops what's what's happening that they're not understanding let's just assume they care what's happening that they're not understanding uh that's the problem is they don't care right. well, they, they do care <laughs> they care about the money that they're gonna make and they don't care about the money or the issues that other people are having but kind of bring it back to the reimbursement issue because if they don't fix that some of us are not going to be around, and, and some of my pharmacies are rural. We just did a thing with one of the local TV stations here in St. Louis at one of my rural pharmacies, and she actually interviewed two of our patients, and they said, you know, it'll be devastating if that pharmacy closes. But that's the reality. If, if things continue, like Deb said, we, we hopefully hit the floor, but the contract that Express Scripts sent out, at least for the independents, every brand is below below cost. And I don't care who you are, every brand's going to be go below cost. So unless the chains are getting something better, which I doubt, it's crazy. Yeah, but we'll make it up on the generic side, but not enough. But when you lose $200 on a script, it's hard to make that up on a generic that you're making 50 cents. And Jerry, we're even seeing losses on generics now, which we've never seen losses on generics, but we are. So you can't even make it up in generics anymore. Correct. And, and they're not like reasonable with how they pay those generics. I mean, you may be a generic that that with with an effective rate and taken into consideration, you should make good money on, but they underpay it at the point of sale. So you don't know that. And then, you know, depending on how your contract is managed on the back end, do you ever see that that true up? Does it ever come back to you? Uh, I know how hard we work to get that get that leveled out and back to people, but I know that that's not always the case. So you can't even tell what your final reimbursement is going to be on a product, even if you know what the contract says in many cases. Well, why the PSAOs accepted the GERs and BERs is... I, I have a different opinion. I know that it's a, it's, a, it's a touchy subject, but I know that the way we manage it, it is a floor. Um, without that in those contracts, we see MAC rates of, of far worse than what we see with the effective rates when we do the analysis. Now, effective rates have been around for a, for a long time. They were in some of the original contracts that we saw that were signed 30 years ago, but they were a floor and they were reasonable. And now the way that they they manage those is is a lot different than what it was originally when it was put in there. And not all PSAOs are created equal with how they deal with effective rates. I'm not going to talk badly about anyone. I'm not going to name any names, but you know, effective rates can either help you and be a floor for reimbursement and give you a predicted a predicted reimbursement, or they can be a wild card. And I unfortunately think that in a lot of cases, they're a wild card for pharmacies. So in dealing with patients at the counter too, the other thing we can talk about is specialty drugs. What's not a specialty drug today might be classified as a specialty drug tomorrow. Guess who never knows, the patient or the pharmacy? until we submit that claim. So now you got a patient in front of you that you've been filling this prescription probably for years, and you get the rejection on your screen saying, must go to specialty pharmacy. Now you gotta go explain that to the patient. Patient doesn't get it, you're my pharmacy. Why do I have to have it mailed? I don't want it mailed, I wanna get it here. It, it's a game that they play, and there's nothing special about specialty pharmacy, or you know, specialty drugs, except that the PBM can say that you can only fill it here, and it's so special, we're going to mark it up a thousand percent. So the messages that we have to give to customers and explain their benefits to them is a difficult message at times. Why things are rejected? Why can you only get 30 days at my store, but you can get 90 days somewhere else? Um, th those are benefit plans that, that we have to explain to the patient. And since we're the ones doing the explaining and giving the bad news, sometimes we get the wrath of patients as well. I know they're they're frustrated and they're confused, but 
I don't see Express Scripts standing in front of my cash register explaining to Mrs. Smith why she can no longer get her meds with me. That falls on my shoulders. It's hard for Express Scripts to tell Mrs. Smith the only reason she can't get her meds with you is because Express Scripts makes more money if they fill it at a credo. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? And we, we see the same thing with CVS Caremark and their mail facilities. We in Maryland had to pass a law that said you can never consider an HIV med or a uh, diabetes, a med for diabetes as a specialty drug. And you would think you wouldn't get a whole lot of you know pushback on that, but you sure did. Like, I mean, it, it's it's one of those things. They, they use that as a wild card to, to increase their profits. The, anything they can push to specialty means that they're not bound by the state laws that say they can't pay themselves more. Um, because they're the only ones filling it. So it's not like they're paying someone else less. They're just no one else can fill it. So that's where they can really make money. I know some of the, the studies that have come out, the real disparity is in specialty drug uh, profitability. And that's, you know, our uh, our three-letter friends that have a, uh, a lot of pharmacies around and they, you know, can't staff them because they're not reimbursing themselves more. They're happy to keep that pocket empty as long as the other pocket is full of cash. And that's what I feel is going on. Almost like you could say, Hey guys, stop hoarding specialty prescriptions. In fact, stop calling them specialty. You know, people like everyday lay people like myself, when we hear the term specialty pharmacy, we envision what is absolutely not true, which is like some kind of clean room and you have to be very careful with how you handle the medication or it might blow up on you. And, you know, like there's nothing remotely like that about specialty medication. It, it comes down to the price tag. And when you as a patient find that out, it's really upsetting. It's incredibly upsetting to find out that you're being routed some other place than your pharmacy because someone else is going to benefit off of it, right? I mean, for the patients, it always feels like it's off our backs anyway. And I think that's another reason that patients and their pharmacies are in this fight so closely together because we both know what it feels like to be exploited by large corporations for our money. Another question I have for you pertains to just going back to that partnership, business partnership. So, you know, Deb, when you wrote your letter, one of the things that you wanted to make clear right up front is that you were going to be talking from a business owner perspective, business to business, because if you weren't talking about a pharmacy being able to stay in business, then what you were talking about was no access for a patient to get their medication. So on the topic of business partnership, the ways in which they conduct business with you, recertification, transaction fees, the the changes to contracts mid-year, faxing the changes. Though I would what would you guys like to say to the PBMs about their business practices and how they're operating? How they're how are they doing as a business partner to you in that regard? Well, the practices are working well for them. Their stockholders love it apparently. Yeah, I thought I read that uh, somewhere that the majority of the stock, at least it may be CVS, but it might also be United, is held by a very small number of people. So, yeah, they probably are loving that. It was it was interesting that the quarterly projections came out while the folks were at that meeting for for a Cigna group uh, <laughs> talking to Express Scripts about how they couldn't, you know, Express Scripts telling them that reasons why they couldn't pay them more. And you've got, you know, hey, you guys just made one point something billion dollars in a quarter. Like, come on. Yeah, for sure. Jerry, what are your thoughts? I'm going to agree with pretty much everything that's being said so far. I mean, there's it's just crazy the way the system's set up and it's not it's only benefiting the PBMs. That's what it boils down to. They, We got to figure out a way. And unfortunately, it's going to take legislative action. 
and it's I think we're getting closer because um, there's enough people complaining, but I think we need to get more of our patients to do the complaining as well. I mean, I'm telling everybody and their brother they right now they need to call their state or not their their federal legislators, just senators right now because they're trying to put some PBM bills out there. There's what four or five different uh, bills out there, groups that are doing it. Um, so I'm trying to encourage my patients in, in my stores to start making some phone calls. I mean, in Missouri, we're drafting up uh, a letter that the pharmacies could give to our patients to call the state legislators when we try and get our PBM bill passed. We need to get more people calling and talking. We need to educate them, but it's it's tough to educate. Sometimes you just don't have the time that it's going to take. There's so much going on with PBMs and to try and explain exactly what they're doing and who's doing what and how much they're getting paid. And now they used to collect their own rebates. Now they got an aggregator that does it for them. Well, I'm sure those people are getting paid. So there's some of that money coming out of what should be going back to the payers and the patients, which is not. Yeah, we used to joke about how uh, we should just be sending the patients directly to the PBMs to take care of the patients, right? Because the PBMs are calling all the shots anyway. They're clearly inserted themselves into the practice of medicine. But what do you suppose they would say? I imagine somewhere in the back of your mind, you've got to be thinking something like, what I'd really like to tell them is to get rid of their pharmacies or stick to claims processing or stop negotiating or some of those more hardcore messages. I'm just curious, do you think that way? And if you do, what would you say to them on any of those topics? Well, I think they should a, stick to claims processing and, and B, help people manage their their medications. If there are cheaper alternatives, let them go for that. Let them try that instead, but educate the patient um, and then educate the, the payers as well of what, what's going on. But they just put themselves in the middle of too many things right now that's costing everybody money. So that part needs to get fixed. But they're supposed to be, you would think, in the healthcare, but are they? Uh, they're not. If they were really, and that's what's so crazy is CVS owns Aetna and Cigna owns Express Scripts, but the the plans don't get along with the PBMs and they own them. Um, it's crazy. I mean, I'm with CPSN as, as well, and we're trying to negotiate with, we're starting with the Medicare Advantage plans to try and help them with the new rules that they're going to have to follow. And they'll get penalized if they don't take care of certain people. And we're trying to tell them, look, we can help you do this, but you got to help us fix the PBM side, because if that doesn't get fixed, we're not in business to do these other services that's going to make you money and eventually save healthcare costs. That's the, the challenge. I mean, pharmacies are being underutilized for what they could be doing. But we got to be reimbursed properly to be able to do it, to have the, the help in there. There's not a day go by that when the chain pharmacists are complaining about the excess work they're doing. Now they have to verify the prescriptions and make sure they get filled and wait on customers. Oh, but then they have to give about 100 flu shots today also with no help. I mean, it's crazy. But, you know, what are they going to do? All walk out? That would be the best thing to do, but that's not going to happen because, you know, they need that job. Some of them, especially the younger ones, have huge bills that they're paying from their student loans. So it's it's a frightening issue. I mean, that's the beauty of being your own an owner. You can you don't have to make as much money. You still have to make money, but you don't have to keep your stockholders happy. You just have to, in my case, keep my wife happy, but and my employees as well. But 
Now, that's the key. But we ought to be able to work together, partner, in, and I don't think they want to partner. And that's the biggest thing that uh, I guess the first thing that I would say is, hey, let's work together. How can we work together to make this better for the patient? That's what needs to be done. Deb, you were going to chime in. What have you got to say? I was going to agree with Jerry. Let's not come back to the 80s and say that they can be a like a credit card processor and that's it. Move money from point A to point B. You know, let pharmacists do what pharmacists do. The health plans, I mean, they've always had caseworkers. The, the caseworkers could get back on the phone and, and start that personal touch with the patients, um, you know, and helping them on their way to health. Right now, we're just running 90 miles an hour with our hair on fire, trying to make it to the end of the day. And even though in our hearts, we want to do better with, by our patients and, and give them, you know, great care, it's difficult to do. You know, we made hard decisions that, um, you know, reimbursement rates have gone down consistently over the last couple of years. We decided that we weren't going to lay anybody off. But what we were going to do was try to make sure that we hung on to all the customers that we had, uh, make them, you know, better customers closer to us and and see if we couldn't make it work. We shouldn't have to do that. I mean, the, these clowns have taken over the industry. They've destroyed the noble profession of pharmacy. They've absolutely destroyed it. And it's more than just pharmacy. They've destroyed a lot of healthcare, but they've got a lot of mopping up to do if they want to uh, stand next to us and be our partners. My hope is still that the FTC comes in and uh, does some hatchet work here with some of these vertically integrated companies and says, you, you, you can't control all of these things. You can't you know, force prescriptions from your own clinics to your own pharmacies and exclude others. And I think that if it wasn't about patients for independent pharmacies, we'd all look like the chains. We'd all, you know, take two hours to pick up the phone. We'd have people lined up out the door. Like we just, you know, we would understaff it. The thing is we care too much. So we're just going to work harder. We're going to, you know, take less money home. The owners are going to, you know, do everything they can to pinch pennies everywhere to to provide a level of care to patients that they that they know they deserve. And what we're seeing is our chain counterparts don't have that same ability. And it's finally breaking down because the reimbursements are that bad across the board in all of these different areas, whether it's self-imposed by our friends at CVS or whether it's um, others that are in the same boat as us because they just can't do anything against these behemoths. Um, but I mean, you're, you're close to a breaking point. You can't continue to cover up that lack of dollars with more work. That's really well said, Brian. So I've got one last question before we wrap up. Uh, and the inverse of a question that Karen Lynch appeared in an article saying PBMs are the most misunderstood entity in the healthcare supply chain. Yes, we all feel sorry for them that no one understands them. They want it that way. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, oh, cry me, cry me a river, Karen. But my question, I guess, is what is it that you wish, like if you could just get one thing across to them, but fundamentally, what is it that you wish that they understood about what it is they're currently doing in this quote unquote partnership that they've built with independent pharmacy over the years. If you could impart anything to them, what is the thing you most wish that they understood about what it is you do? Well, I mean, what we do is we try to improve the health of our patients and make sure that they're taking the appropriate drugs, taking them properly and taking them as well. But we need to, we need to be paid to do that. And they can't just keep blaming us for the high cost of drugs and keep reducing our reimbursements when they're, like I said before, they're the ones that are causing the rapid rise in the price of drugs. 
I think it's what 40 to 50% of the drug now is in rebates and fees that the PBMs are collecting. I think there was an article from Janssen that said over the past several years, their net price of their drug has gone down, yet their list price has gone up dramatically. And it's because of the rebates that the PBMs keep demanding. I try to explain to legislators, if if your cost to do business has gone up 2%, so you need to raise your prices 2%, but if you got to pay somebody else 50% of the price, well, now the cost of that drug just went up 4%. Problem is the government's probably the biggest one getting rebates, so they're the not want to correct that part of it, but we're going to need legislative help to get this fixed because, like I said, I don't think the PBMs are right now talking gibberish and we can't trust them. I mean, I've had a couple of conversations with uh, Stephanie Smith Cooney. I tried to get on her, her panel, but uh, I was probably too vocal, but so I didn't get on there, but such is life. I mean, at least she understands pharmacy. I mean, because Express Scripts put her out of business. How ironic that she's now working for him, but uh, she's hopefully going to try and fix that and create a true partnership, but I'll believe it when I see it. I'm going to agree with Karen Lynch that uh, PBMs are misunderstood because they've been telling us for years that they are necessary, that they uh, handle all the medications for patients, that they're driving down costs. And, you know, without them, Lord knows where the prescription prices would go. So, yeah, they're misunderstood because they're not doing a damn thing that they say they do. It's a lot of smoke and mirrors and black boxes where, you know, the the claim goes in and this magic price comes out that they can't really tell you how they got to it. I mean, I think they're going to end up decimating what is the the first line of healthcare for communities across the country. I mean, you, you talk about pharmacy deserts, they are going to single-handedly create areas where people can't get access to healthcare. We're, we're the only even remotely healthcare related provider in our zip code. I don't, I don't know about Jerry and his stores, but if they're rural, you may be in the same situation. And it, it is going to dramatically change the ability for patients to get care. I find many of the things that we do is triage patients and, you know, they come in and talk to us before they go to the emergency room sometimes. And it's, it's, when we go away, they they don't have anywhere that they can go and get that advice. And I, I feel sorry for them when in the places where that's already happened and the places that that will happen if nothing changes. Yeah, in some rural areas, the pharmacy is the only healthcare person around. My pharmacy at Ellsbury is rural, and I'd say for five or six years, we didn't have a doctor in town. Finally got one back in, but we were the doctor, so to speak. They came to us for all their needs, and, and that was before telehealth, at least now with telehealth. There's some alternatives that uh, pharmacies can use for their patients. That's really well said. Thank you. Thank you all very much. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you and getting your perspectives on each of these questions. I feel like there's so much more to talk about. We've touched on so many different issues. We've talked about the chains and the impact of reimbursement on the chains, which itself is a huge impact on patient care and a huge impact on patient safety, not to mention pharmacist safety. Some of the stories that first started coming out when this began to be a clear problem were heartbreaking. And so touching on that, touching on the need for legislative assistance with this, I 100% agree with you, Jerry, and the FTC, Brian. You know, the hope here is that the study that they're doing will, you know, make a big difference. But the one thing that always happens every single time we ever try to approach a solution is that the powers that be ask us, 
Well, have you tried talking to each other? Have you tried meeting to work it out? So if, if Express Scripts is offering this opportunity to do that, then I think what we're doing today is a, is a really good first step by going on the record and saying, this is these are some areas. These are not all the areas. There's so many more that we could talk about, but these are some critical ones indeed. So thank you all so much for your time. Brian Hose, Jerry Callahan, President Deborah Kevney, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And a special thank you to our sponsor, DataScan Pharmacy Software. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate you. And for everyone who's listening, thank you so much for joining us. We love your feedback. Please let us know what your thoughts are. And if there are things you would like the big PBMs to know, please let us know. We will pass that along. You can always reach us at info at truthrx.org. Thank you for listening to the podcast and we will see you next month.